Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's Hort Culture in the afternoon, and we're here just uh, laughing it up and giggling uh, behind the scenes. How's everybody feeling today? Besides giggly. 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 Oh, <laughs> Other than happy, giggly. Other. Hungry. We're kind of <laughs> laughing not to cry, I feel is how I'm it's moving through the day. It's a really busy time for plant lovers now, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot going on in the plant world. There is. I feel like my the the line between um I was gonna say genius and insanity. So I'll go with that. The line between genius and insanity is very thin and thinning every day uh for me. So <laughs> It's uh, it's springtime, so it's burning the candle at both ends. Essentially, is what it's what we're doing: nuclear explosion in the future. But that's not what you came here to hear about. You came here. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, not you. You may have come here to hear about that, but I certainly <laughs> didn't. No, no, we have fun. Um, <laughs> so this is a little bit different kind of. Uh, it's actually really great timing that because I think we're all in a little bit of a. Uh, uh, goofy, but also uh, maybe stressed and, and tired and different sorts of moods. Maybe you find yourself in that sort of scenario currently. And so it seems like a good opportunity for us to think a little bit about this. Uh, it's, this is less topical, less, uh, you know, la- we talked to Jonathan Larson last week. What a cool guy. Can I just mm-hmm. say? <laughs> you can. He is. He really I is. echo. The dopest. Man, so cool. We talked to him about IPM. I hope you're this listening, little, Jonathan. This week's a little more uh, discussion based and, and thinking about as, as someone who works on the the marketing side of things, and I'm I'm housed in the Department of Agricultural Economics. It's really easy for me, and you've probably heard it on the podcast. It's easy for me to be a buzzkill about something not being profitable, or or you know, not wanting to go into something expecting to make money because that, that might not be the best. Uh, the best avenue to take that you, you know, all, all those types of very um, mercenary and tactical decisions around money making. And the reality is, for the most part, people that I come across, the money is often an afterthought or it's something that they think that they need to think about. But the initial spark, and if you're a home gardener and you aren't, you aren't trying to sell or somebody is not trying to sell, you just get to savor that spark indefinitely is about what is it about this world of horticulture, this world of growing plants and interacting with them that that we love? What is the reason why we love it? Or what's the what are the good things about it that have nothing to do with making money, has nothing to do with maximizing productivity or any of that kind of fun stuff? And I think for people who spend their, a lot of their time in very utilitarian fields, us in extension, it's good to kind of reflect back on that, especially if you're feeling a little down, feeling a little tired. And so that's the setup for today. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm talking a lot here just to kind of frame it for everybody. But what do you all think? Did you all have a chance to think about that a little bit before this and and, and share some of your thoughts? It could be you personally. It could be people that you've come across over time. What, what's the what's the, the point of it all, Ray? Well, I, I have my own personal reasons but uh, it's interesting that um, I work with a lot of people and you said that work in different fields and their jobs at, at a certain point in their life, 
they come to do activities like gardening where they may have been gardeners when they were younger or they may have never been a gardener. Um, but I work with people all the time that kind of get, I don't know, they, they frame it as getting back to the land. And it's just really interesting to me that, um, that this is sort of a phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah, absolutely a real thing. So there's um, elements of like nostalgia and a calling back to yeah. some sort of connection with the land and with. Yeah, 100%. And, and for me, I, I guess even I'm experiencing a, a little bit of that because, you know, we grew up on a farm. We had, you know, animals and plants on the farm, cattle and tobacco fruits. And, or and not where, where was that? Eastern part of the state, the eastern foothills, kind of very hilly region. So we had these little plots. Can you, can you get be specific? Yeah, just outside of Paintsville in Johnson okay. County. So the far eastern part of the state. Mm. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we we had all these activities going on and the days were hot and long. And, you know, we spent a lot of hours in the tobacco stripping room or in the field chopping out weeds at the time. That was a thing back then. You know, we met, did a lot of manual uh, weed control. But I said, you know, someday I'm just going to go to school and I'm, I'm you know, going to do something different. going to, you know, try mm. to, you know, go to college and, and do something different. And I got to college and had this reflective period where I was like, but do I really want to go away from that? Because I realized that I loved it, you know, more than I thought. And mm. I, I gave, I've given that a lot of thought over time. And one thing that I really missed as soon as I got away from, um, you know, producing things like a tomato crop or, you know, a crop of sweet corn uh, was that it's kind of really it's this is getting deep into the weeds um, on the topic. No pun intended, but yeah, the weeds uh, you haven't chopped yet. We, yeah, the weeds we haven't chopped away, yet that my away. dad would say, go do that. If you are bored, son, go do that. Long days, remember, long days. But there's this whole this is whole thing of seasonality and connecting mm-hmm. me not only to the land, but to the seasons and that has just came back to me over time and only gotten stronger mm. because when we were doing that, not only were we doing that as a family activity together, that was a model of our farm as we kind of did that almost everything together as a family. But there was also this really close tie. And I remember in the fall, the smells and the, the hay that would go in the barn and around Halloween time, what the farm looked like. And this dad would always make us, you know, kids a fodder shock. And I remember all of that and just, uh, Growing plants and being a part of that process connected me so closely to the land and seasons that 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 feeling has come back, you know, 200 percent for me. And I think that's one of the reasons I still have like a little garden plot out back. And not only do we do, you know, deal with these things professionally, but it's different. I want to do it personally now. Mm -hmm. I still want to go back and do that. I want to see that tomato is going to mark time for me. It's going to. Wow. It's going to grow and get larger in a, in a blink of an eye, I turn around and I get it. And that's easy to forget. Even in our jobs, we're looking at things every single day, but it's easy to forget how quickly time passes unless you have a marker for time. Mm. That's why I grow a garden in the back. Yes. I love fresh produce and there's many, many other great reasons, but it, it's a, it's connectivity uh, for me. And it's a marker. of time. Mm. There's lots of other things that mark time, but that's a big one for me. And that's really abstract, but I've, I've thought a lot about it over time. Yeah. Wow. That's one of the reasons that I do that. What a fantastic Beautiful. answer. I, I just, you know, I just thought I would go deep into the weeds and set that the tone. So, no, that, that is so good. There's a lot of that that I felt. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. It was hard for me when I was younger and I was about a sophomore in college and trying to make up my mind whether I was going into biology or agricultural sciences. And and there's some weird shift started happening in me that said, 
you know, those were really hard times, but they were good times. They were really mm-hmm. good times. So mm-hmm. yeah, for me, that's one of the reasons I've stayed close to my roots, so to say, hmm. is uh, I love that marking and connectivity, marking of time. So, yeah. What about you, Josh? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. His answer made me think a lot, um, but I'd have to say, I mean, I sort of had a different path to agriculture. I can't, I was a late comer, a late bloomer, if you will. Um, I grew <laughs> up in late. a very nice. urbanized suburban area of Orlando and worked in information technology, right? Like call center sort of work, just regimented cubicles, concrete, asphalt, every direction. And ended up around the age of 27 to go and work on a 12 acre kind of mixed fruit and vegetable farm in South Georgia, which is very warm compared to Kentucky, but compared to Florida, <laughs> it wasn't so bad. Um, and you know, one of the things that drew me to it was I had a friend that had gotten into it um, maybe about six months prior, and we were talking about kind of the limited, the stress that you get in that kind of work is very much physical and outdoor farm work. And I was coming from an environment that was very sedentary, but was very kind of just a constant putting out of fires that I didn't start, you know, very abstracted. You solve one problem. Shout out Billy Joel. Yeah, exactly. The there you go. <laughs> and it just keeps burning even without me there, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, no after me. getting onto a farm, you know, uh, which my parents thought this was nuts. I had dropped out of school to go into information technology, which at least made sense because there's money in it theoretically. Um, but then I had switched to becoming like kind of a seasonal farm worker and making, you know, kind of close to or sub minimum wage, depending on the circumstances without health benefits. So they were like, you know, our child has lost his mind, I guess, was the thinking. <laughs> Whereas their parents had grown up on farms and they all found it very relatable what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like suddenly mm-hmm. I got I was in with all the grandparents. It was just their kids who thought I was nuts. Um, Did you start to have like closeness and conversation with a totally different group of people at some point? Oh, absolutely. Relatability. Yeah, yeah. It's that's like awesome. we can sit around and that's like awesome. talk about the weather, like in depth. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, yeah. and be very emotionally invested in conversations yes. about the weather. The passionate conversations. Yeah, right, sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to say one of the things that has kept me wanting to always be around it and wanting to kind of keep my foot inside that world and to eventually kind of retire into a lifestyle that's more surrounded by agriculture and plants is uh, kind of the mental and physical health benefits, right? It's like, I remember trying to describe it to somebody that like working on the farm, I mean, there's stress to it and there's a physical stress to it, but you know, your body can adapt to that. Whereas like the adaptations you make for like mental health stuff aren't always productive, right? In our personal (laughs) relationships. Um, And how I would describe it in those days was that like, this work is like negative stress. Like I would go Mm -hmm. out into the field with, you know, all the issues that somebody might have and just be anxious about anything, but, you know, spend five, six, seven, eight hours in the sun. Suddenly a lot of those things aren't really bothering you anymore. You're worried about like, oh, let me get some cold water to drink and 
I can take a nap at the drop of a hat. <laughs> nice. Gosh, I think my coping mechanisms are working out just fine, okay? So <laughs> my mental health coping mechanisms are great. You got it under control. Yeah, uh, totally. Brett is very I... caffeinated, in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> right. Yes. So yeah. you say that, uh, Josh, it seems like I heard you say, like, you could also see kind of like the results of your efforts. Oh, is absolutely. That, is that part yeah. of it? I'm always yeah. curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, because if you're just putting out a series of like fires or dealing with abstract problems all day, it's hard at the end of the day to say like, what did I even do? Right. Mm -hmm. Like I kept Mm -hmm. some institution rolling forward, maybe in some small way, whereas like spending all day out in a field, you can look back and say, Hey, there's no weeds over there anymore. Or like all that's picked and in the Mm -hmm. fridge or, you know, whatever you can, you can, you're actively doing it and you can see, the accomplishments that you're performing throughout the day, you're less alienated from it. I think that might be part of the reason why people gravitate toward the production and hate talking about the marketing is because the marketing totally. falls into great, that. Great point. That's a great point. Category. Yeah. Right. So just yeah. everybody know, I understand why you don't want to talk about <laughs> record keeping and marketing. He's looking you up right now. Targeting. But, right. Right. Yeah. Alexis, what about you? You've, you've spent some time in the fields uh, <laughs> recently. <you>. <laughs> yeah. Just a little while ago. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, my, I could say exactly the same thing that Josh and Ray both said. I think uh, for me, progress and efficiency are my love languages. Um, so <laughs> I, I, need to I, I am book. who I am. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I enjoy stepping away, like Josh said, from sort of those abstract things, those fires uh, that we, we did not start and, um, actually accomplishing something and seeing it and then seeing the fruits of my labor uh, is mm-hmm. really, you know, mm-hmm. nice. And <laughs> when I'm harvesting it and uh, getting to sell it and I mean, yeah, I know that comes back to money making, but just, you know, looking out in the field and seeing that I have color uh, this time of year that I might not have had another time of year and just seeing the progress uh, that I've made not only in you know, a week or a day or an hour, but also over the years. Uh, and sometimes I don't remember that. And I had to have that moment with myself this morning where I was like, mm. hey, yes, you're stressed out because you're trying to do a lot of things right now, but look at where you've come and this is what you dreamed of. Um, and so, you know, you, you've accomplished that. And so I haven't dreamed of being super stressed, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have dreamed of being able to um, – to do the things that I'm currently doing now. And uh, that's that's good. And it's something that as I like walk, walk back into the house with really sore muscles uh, and I'm mm-hmm. sweaty, uh, I can remember that I've come really far. So I feel like that's, that's one of the things that is why I grow and continue to grow and continue to sweat and continue mm-hmm. to be stressed, I guess. <laughs> well, so what, what, what if we step away from just the, like the, those cut flowers and the business and the farm stuff? Cause you, you're, you're an OG plant lover from a day one or if you will. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Like what, so what drew you in the first place? Cause I, I, so I, 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 I met Alexis when she was, uh, she would have been still a student and I was working at UK and she, uh, she and her friends were were t- turning the horticulture club into something truly spectacular and doing some really cool things and propagating stuff and flexing about difficult propagations. And I was like, I don't know what that means. 
Titans, but congratulations. <laughs> so what's what what about that? Like if you step back to that time, what what do you think is the that spark, that initial spark? Yeah. Uh, so why kind of why I have a Hort degree, I guess. Uh, yeah, my parents also thought I was like. And my, I grew up with gardens and, you know, uh, farms and my mom was really, is really great. You know, she knew lot names of plants. So I just, you know, could go around and that was very normal, um, for me, but it was never something I thought I could make a career out of. So I actually started when I got out of college, uh, I went to, um, a military academy and was going to be a civil engineer. And then I was like, oh, right. I don't really like to be on the ocean. And I also don't really love math. Have trouble being civil. Uh, so, <laughs> so, Not uh, civilized. Yeah. So, so I uh, spent a summer. So I, I left school and was applying to other school colleges, uh, left the academy and was applying to other colleges and uh, spent my summer working at Lowe's in the lawn and garden section, just Ooh. moving plants around, answering questions. And, Taking leaf uh, cuttings, propagating was, in your pocket. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what falls on the police. ground yeah. is what's on the ground. So, you know, I was like 18 and uh, I had a, a plant. The guy who ran that part of the Lowe's uh, actually was um, had a lot of background in, in plants and ran ner- commercial nurseries for years and years and years. So he was very educated and kind of clued me in that I could – have a career working with plants and uh, something that, you know, other than being like a landscaper, that's what my parents said. My mom was like, what are you going to do? Go be a landscaper. I was like, no, could be, could I be was sweet. At the, there's a bunch of landscapers making, I mean, more which money is fine. Right like landscaping I'm doing landscaping. <laughs> I was doing that before extension made a lot of money. Oh, yeah. but you got, you know, if you're, if you're yeah. a parent, if you're a parent, you got to kind of yeah. try to scare the right, right. out of your kids. How are you going to support kids? me? Yeah. Yeah. To them, it was kind of like I was going to like art school. Not that there's anything wrong with art school either, but mm. there's there's that like you know yeah. uh, thought to it. So anyway, so oh, I yeah. started in horticulture, started to learn all of the ways that I could be involved with plants, and um, was very lucky to have um, someone who taught me a lot of great hands-on skills. Sherry, shout out to you, shout uh, out Sherry, and just. Yeah, I think plants focus me, you know, like I, I can sit down mm-hmm. um, with uh, some cuttings or some seeds or whatever, whatever it is, some weeds, some, you know, plantings in the ground. It doesn't matter where, but it's a task that I can focus on and all the other anxieties, you know, just kind of go because I have a, I have a purpose um, and I can see my progress instantly and um there's just something else to think about you know i may put on a good podcast and just kind of zone out uh so and a different podcast really... from this one then no I, the, definitely I mean, this I, podcast you said a good one right oh okay my good qualifications <laughs> humility but it seems like yeah, that's a so, theme with you guys yeah mm-hmm. as far as the garden therapy i mean you and josh make like you you're doing things that you can kind of see and very mm-hmm. tactile kind of result kind of driven sort of things. It gives you the, the yeah. perception of purpose. Like my yeah. life has meaning because that thing happened over there and I did it. It's so cool. I mean, yeah. it's really, yeah. that's very real. It feels very real. <laughs> I remember it gives me a sense of like, no, I was going to say, I remember being in undergrad with Alexis and her also talking about <laughs> trying to cut you off. Like, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, her talking about, <laughs> don't talk um, about it liking working with plants also because they don't really talk back do they they're easy to work with 
<laughs> yeah, they're not even like animals. Well. Took a nice and quiet. <laughs> if you listen hard yeah. enough, they communicate. Uh, stingy nettle <laughs> definitely talks back. I'm here to tell you. There's plants that talk I talk back, back to stingy <laughs> nettle too, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. That Who sounds like a mafia louder. hit to me, guys. <laughs> Brett, we're, we don't want to miss you, Brett. You've not you've not oh, added in. Yeah, yeah, well, we I, definitely want to hear. I will I will share share some of that here in, in a little bit. But I was yeah. thinking about just reflecting on what you were saying about the um, the sometimes that term therapeutic gets thrown around uh, as sort of anything that's enjoyable or whatever. But I think in this in this sense, we've had a number of partners and, and folks that we've seen where whether that be um, refugees who are who are head, coming out of a really, really troubling place and they're able to come and find a space, whether in a community garden or through a refugee garden program like they've uh, done in, in Louisville uh, or something like a really traumatic event like uh, uh, the folks at Greenhouse 18 that have dealt with that kind of stuff, that these horticultural engagements, just engaging with plants, having something that grows, having something that is both within and outside of your control does actually have extensive uh, positive effects on our mental health and, and managing and working through, of course, in, in tandem with all the other types of support that folks working through trauma need. Mm. And I think that that is, again, it's, it's something that we if you, if you lump it in with the kind of uh, stereotypical wine mom Instagram therapy <laughs> meaning, it can get lost. And I know that's not what we're talking about here, but I, I think that is a, just a really important part of that. It's it's not just necessarily a distraction, but there's something really fundamental there that um, I'm sure that there's been explorations of that. There's some cool research on that, Brett. And I, and I worked with an Alzheimer's unit years ago and they came to me with this concept and I, I was like, well, I'm going to have to see the, see the scientific underpinnings mm. to see if we can build something from this. And there, lo and behold, there was using, you know, textures of plants and colors and not only that, but smell, but engaging the different senses as much as possible. Uh, there, there's pretty decent research on this and from a true therapeutic standpoint, bringing science into that and quantifying that, and the way that it engages your senses in ways that we're just beginning to understand because it engages so many senses at one time, mm. you know, the colors, the shapes, the smells, the, the feel, it mm. does it all at one time. If you put that into the design of a garden and we're currently working with, uh, it's a little bit different focus, but a, a local community gardens, I won't name any names, but it involves a multitude of residents with, with some different issues, but we kind of incorporate some of those, you know, science-based uh, concepts into the garden. So yeah, there's a lot to that in a pure terminology standpoint, therapy. Yeah. Therapeutic. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, uh, there, there's some good research out there on that. I think I shouted them out as greenhouse 18. It's greenhouse 17. I promote, oh, yeah. promoted yeah, yeah, right. that for some reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the had some, a lot of friends who, who have worked with that organization and, um, yeah, really cool, cool stuff that they're up to. But I think for my general answer uh, is a little different maybe from what you all have said. Uh, so I didn't grow up with an ag background at all. Um, ha had an aunt who had a pretty extensive garden. And I did a garden at my grandma's house when I was a kid somewhat, but it was just a little thing to keep, I think, keep the kids uh, or keep me uh, <laughs> <Is he>? occupied. <laughs> and but you remembered it. Keep I do. I do remember it. You yeah. remembered it though. And then uh, I went away from all that for a while. And my background, I, I went 
to college. And when I came into college, I studied uh, Spanish and German and sociology. And I, that's what I got my degrees in. And then after that was all done, I decided to go and get a job, uh, which to that point, I uh, didn't, I had, you know, jobs here and there, but as far as a full-time job. And that, that happened to be at the horticulture research farm at UK, uh, growing some vegetables and, and that kind of thing. And uh, eventually transitioned away from that into doing more extension work. And um, we were doing some, uh, I guess, because I missed that small scale horticulture production. We basically set up a little mini horticulture farm with long rows and drip tape and everything else in our backyard. <laughs> and spoiler alert, it's a lot of work and can <laughs> turn something that's supposed to be fun into something that's stressful. And so we recently, as in last year, decided to kind of go in a completely different direction. We had Andy, my wife had been moving that way already, but decided to move things and to more of a landscaped uh, designed space built around plants, but also some hardscaping and other stuff like that. And that, that has accompanied or has gone hand in hand with uh, developing interest in things like bonsai and a little bit broader interest in, I would say non edible horticultural experiences. And so I think now my relationship is much more about embracing the the lack of control or the embracing the limits of my control on that, that you can intervene and you can do certain things and it may produce the result that you're after. But a lot of it is this, uh, people describe bonsai as a collaborative art form in the sense of a collaboration between you and the plant. And I think of that in general, as you mentioned seasonality, Ray, I think seasonality uh, weather in general, but seasonality in particular is one of those like foundations of the lack of human control. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> the crushing winter is on its way. It's going to be what it's going to be. And the, you know, the hot summer is coming and like, that's, this is the thing that we react, we react to. And so a lot of my interactions with horticulture in relationship to horticulture. And I think horticulture as a, as a uh, field is about this dance between humans and plants trying to get them that they want what we want, get them to do what we want them to do them pushing back uh, or going along with it and uh so i think i was talking to with, with annie about this and i think that when, when people spend time in the space or they they see a plant that you've you've worked with and it makes them happy or moves them or otherwise that's another another part of it for me, but that's that's kind of my very um, uh, heady answer to that question. I think <laughs> that's um, very interesting. Um, you know, my dad, who is more of a poet than I ever would have thought when I was younger, uh, he would say that uh, agriculture and working, doing field work, and working with plants and even animals to a certain extent is one of the few endeavors in life where the longer you do it, the more you realize the less you know. Mm. And he was speaking to all those external factors. You know, we talk about like planning programs and, you know, doing impact statements and all this. And there's a little slot on the, the logic model that says external factors. Well, I feel like all of agriculture and exactly what you just said, Brett, has so much to do with external factors. But, you know, I think a lot of my dad would say something very similarly. He probably 100% agree with some of the things you said. One of the things he loved about it, he said it's always going to be a challenge. 
There's mm-hmm. always going to be things outside of your control. You do the best you can, and that's all you can do. Yeah, that's cool think, to look at it. Do you yeah, all – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, as someone who is uh, – self-identifies and <laughs> as a control freak um mm-hmm. i think that everybody's laughing because they know <laughs> it <laughs> uh that i think is one of the things that is teaching me to let go is is plants <laughs> and nature i mean there's like an element of control of course that i have and as i stare at weeds i'm kind of like i have the co- ability to get rid of these um but there's just some things that i cannot control and I think that that is almost a relief. Um, it's the mm-hmm. it's like the yeah. ability to let go and being forced to let go. And it slowly, I think as I as I age and the more I farm, uh, teaching mm-hmm. me that that's okay and I can adapt that to other other areas of my life. And so that has been it's been a good Mother Nature is the best teacher. You're reminding me of something Jonathan was talking about last week. Um, he was talking about those dist- toward the end. He was talking about those distinctions between control management and suppression. Uh-huh. And it reminded me of like control is like perfection. And then the, the middle one management is sort of like what you believe is your optimal, per- you know, thing that you can achieve. And then suppression is like doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a similar thing. Like your whole field is not overgrown with weeds. You're you're generally heading in the direction of suppression in, in that. But that sometimes there's going to be ones that grow, and we're just kind of walking hand in hand with this land and with this place and with this field and um, doing the best we can. And I yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that Mother Nature's teaching you a little patience, Alexis, because you're an amazing <laughs> person. And you are too hard on <laughs> yourself you. sometimes, <laughs> often, all the time. Nature's uh, the only one you know, she's going mean, to listen to. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Nature's, Nature's the only nurture. one that can make her listen. <laughs> Nature doesn't nurture, she punishes. <laughs> I am Poor punished Alexis. regularly by uh, Mother Earth. <laughs> Mother Earth punishes. I think I mean, if, if humility is a muscle, Mother Nature will work work that muscle sometimes to mm. the point to where it's too strong. In other words, I, I think it's just a humbling experience sometimes when you think you have a handle on things. You you develop this mechanism when you're a producer, it seems like, producing things. Whether home gardener, home gardeners know this, doesn't matter the scale of production, but it, it, it strengthens that muscle in you of humility and being adaptable, I think. And mm-hmm. develops that because, you know, someone said uh, excellence is not a act. It's an habit. It's a mm-hmm. habit rather. Well, that's mm-hmm. kind of like humility and being able to roll with the punches that creates that muscle in you. Uh, Mother mm-hmm. Nature does and working with the elements and working outside and working with plants that should live, but they die and pests that should not destroy your crops. But they do. And now that's not a good thing. I don't know. I'm not a real strong subscriber to the philosophy of what doesn't make you, what doesn't kill kill you, you, makes you stronger. stronger. What doesn't kill me is, you know, a good thing. But it's kind of that thing. It's kind of that thing. Yeah. It's a harsh master sometimes. But yeah, you develop this certain attitude. And I've known some older producers and they've got such a chill attitude when it seems like the world's burning down around them as far as their production operations and stuff. But they're like, well, we've done the best we can. We're not always in control. And that's mm-hmm. that's a hard place to get to, I believe, in my mind, because I am sort of a control freak. And I love mm-hmm. managing and manipulating systems and making them do what I want. But it doesn't always work like that, does it? Does it, Alexis? 
<laughs> She's like, why did you have to swing back to me? Yeah. Doesn't always work that way, does it, Alexis? Painted <laughs> plumbing. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we don't have a video on one. Yeah. I wonder that, that I'm not crying. It's fine. Yeah. She's like, crappy tears. Uh, I know we're not talking about economics today, but another angle of this is somebody said one time, and it could have been my father. You know, he was always saying something because we had to chop weeds together and long roads of tobacco. He was always saying something. He was always, and you know, that's a great thing about it is togetherness until it's not a great thing. And you're like, I'm sick of you people. But uh, he, he said something really interesting that uh, it probably appeals to you economists in the room here and on the podcast, uh, Brett. But he said that, and this really kind of shocked me. I was like, you know, he said, well, why do you think we do all this one day? And I was like, I don't know, to make money, Dad. You know, we need the money. We never had a lot of economic resources. He said, that's the reason we do it. It's not why I do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, one of the cool things about working with plants is, he said, it's one, he said, so much of the world is about adding on wealth to a certain product or moving wealth in the world from point A to point B. But he said, when you involve yourself in producing plants, he said, you're not moving wealth from point A to point B. You're creating it. You're a steward of that. I'm like, my dad hits me with these things. We're out chopping tobacco. I'm 14 <laughs> years old. I'm like, oh, okay. But, you know, yeah, I'm thinking about it still years later, trying to digest that comment. But, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, when you really think about all these reasons, you know, all of our experiences, it's really neat hearing from you guys. Well, I think uh, that that idea, it's something that – Annie brought up in a, a slightly different context, but the, mm -hmm. the notion of stewardship or the notion of connecting with a place or with a, a you know piece of land or with soil or with what, however you frame it linguistically, this idea of a lot of stuff happens because this star a perfect distance away from the earth interacts with these little crazy creatures that happen to really like growing in the mineral mix mineral and life mixture we call soil to produce their own sugars that we eventually eat and otherwise take advantage of like that that is a pretty crazy and existential piece of like our relationship to even being alive Right. And so the idea that, I mean, it should run through, it does run through, I think, most of our, you know, spiritual and religious traditions and other, like, it, there's something very, very deep and profound there. And so the idea that, like, it is, it's not magical in the sense that we don't understand it, but the idea that, yeah, you're going to take care of this land, you're going to put this little hard rock-like thing in the ground, and then, like, in a couple of weeks, <laughs> there's going to be green stuff sprouting out of the ground is insane like it's it, it, it's a really <laughs> wild part of being a human being that we, you can know all the science and it's still miraculous it's every incredible. single time incredible yeah. i've been germinating a lot of seeds and a lot of different stratification and other things again alexis and i kind of nerded out on it quite a bit but weep, weep. it's still just like a, it's a captivating experience and i think that idea of having this relationship with the land and having a long-term relationships with the land, either as communities or as people is an, it's another part for me of what I find so captivating about this stuff uh, is. And it, it perpetuates itself, this love of, or this connectivity of people, even folks that I talk to that are maybe they're retiring, moving to the country. Um, they may have had these experiences in the past, but they're wanting, there's this, I don't know, this, feeling of reconnecting. I mean, my own feeling's a little bit different. I have a nine-year-old and at one point I thought, you know, I don't 
you know, I want him to see, you know, have some of these, you know, experiences because you know the, they are sort of profound to me and transformative. Uh, but that's that's another reason I do it is I kind of it seems like it's a special experience for me and I kind of want to pass it on. But even people that have never had these experiences when they were younger, you know, I often wonder what brings them back. They and they can't explain it to me or verbalize it either. Sometimes they're just like, well, you know, it's just something we feel we want to be a part of something we can see, you know, and do, right. you know, do. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. It, there's something very, I mean, as Brett was kind of talking about this and, you know, you had mentioned there's something sort of universal about it. And I remember mm-hmm. um, I traveled in undergrad to do like a study abroad in Southern Japan, which is like a culture that I'm not super filled in on. I don't speak really any Japanese. I definitely am not literate in like kanji and stuff, but in my time there working on this farm, the, the easiest part about it, the easiest way to like generate relationships with my coworkers. Cause I was the only non native person there. Well, there was a guy from Nepal, but like me, a guy from Nepal and a bunch of Japanese nationals, you know, was like doing the work of working in the garden and doing farm work because it's so similar, you know, across very wide cultural gaps. The problems and obstacles are all the same and people think about them sort of in similar ways and do that work. And it was very um, gratifying and exciting to kind of have that entryway into this very different culture. Whereas like going to the grocery store was completely alienating and confusing. I didn't know what was going on, (laughs) but when I was on the farm, I knew what needed to be done. I knew what to look for, you know, didn't really require much direction. And we could communicate to, uh, much easier. To paraphrase a mean girl's quote, plants are the same in every language. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, and one it's, thing I, I will. The quote is. <laughs> sorry. Go no, you're good. <laughs> I'm taking this like very sentimental thing to a weird place of uh, awkwardness. That's cool. Of <laughs> mean girl quotes. <laughs> make, it awkward. make it awkward. Mm-hmm. Keep it weird. Math you know? is, they say math is the same in every language. And they're like, that's beautiful. But for us, it's plants, you know? And yeah. the Latin name is the Latin name, no matter where you go. Like, I had a similar experience with Josh, like studying abroad and in Indonesia. Like, we didn't necessarily call the plants the same thing. But if you could spit out the Latin, and, you know, I was with a bunch of, you know, plant people. And we knew, I knew mm-hmm. what plant that was because they, you know, they were like, oh, that's a capsaicin. I was like, oh, it's in the pepper family, right? So it was a, that was such a cool moment for me when we could talk about plants um, in broken English and uh, kind of know what each other was talking about because we had the Latin. And I thought that was super cool. Yeah. And I, I just very briefly, you know, we're in the touchy feely side. So my sociologist comes out and just to say that, I, when I say, you know, talk about the universality, I do understand there are people and cultures whose experience more recently has been one where agriculture was a representation of their inferior status. I'm thinking about mm. particularly African slaves and the shadow slavery system that like that is not the universal. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about something a little bit more broad and I can understand that not everybody's champing at the bit to get back into the soil. Um, for a number of reasons, but I think in general, as we look across across cultural context, there does seem to be some shared pieces there. A couple more like nuts and bolts components of of why I think I like interacting with plants and interact with them in the ways that I do is um, I used to say that we used our garden or that our garden was was designed to provide food for us and for the things that come and live here. 
Um, mm-hmm. So things like pollinator habitat, lots of cover for birds, bird baths, water, that sort of thing. And as I've gotten uh, older, I guess, I don't know if it's older, maybe just the passage of time. I don't know that I'm getting any more mature, um, as you could probably <laughs> probably tell. But uh, the passage with the passage of time, I'm just realizing how much more more important that is to me because the reality is a lot of our land development that we have done across time and continue to do and expand at a rapid pace is just de- decimating wildlife habitat. Mm. And I don't know that uh, the solution to intervening on that is to just have a backyard garden or a monarch way station. But I think on a more like uh, maybe spiritual or personal or philosophical level doing that, it, it does feel like a little bit of a gesture to the, to yeah. the animals and, and creatures that we live around. And I don't know, I see a lot of, I've never seen so many different types of bees and wasps and uh, in, in just a little backyard little suburban uh, uh, yard. But I, I don't know if you all think about that explicitly about interacting with the birds and I, I maybe sit and look at the birds and, and plants more than, than you all do. I don't know. Maybe. Uh... No, I mean, just being around plants, it doesn't matter if it's in my backyard or that's one of the reasons I get into the forest. I have the mm. same love for a tree as I do a tomato plant. Um, you know, one thing that's always been a part of my family, you know, from going way back, and I still do, and during this conversation, I kind of realized, you know, some of the, you, you said sociology, but building community, but it's one of the angles that I guess, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of resources growing up, but my father gave away more food than anybody I can ever think of. He would give away like excess, you know, beans, tomatoes, all of this stuff to the community. And to this very day, you know, what I grow in the backyard, it's more than we can put up and we only have so much freezer space, but uh, give away to the community. And Reed's got this little wagon. He literally goes down the street and he's got a bunch of neighbors. We know that they are not so lucky to have, you know, plots around their home that's suitable. But yeah, this whole idea of even plants as a builder of community and connectivity, you know, it's so many angles and so many ways you could look at this. It's, it's pretty amazing. And it's making me think of all these things uh, on this kind of, you know, conversation we're having today. Yeah. We were, we were somewhat recently just on that community aspect. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Cause I think that it's multifaceted uh, in the sense that yes, there's the, the sharing directly of stuff with community, but also like yeah. gathering and talking and sharing information about that stuff. You, you all work with master gardeners and uh, yes. just the communities in general, but one that I didn't I just kind of, I don't know, I, I guess it's more common maybe for, for you all, uh, the, you who are in, spend more time in the horticultural, uh, the hort culture, if you will. Cause I, a lot of my time is spent more in the economics and campus and, and all that kind of thing. I didn't grow up or come up with pr- propagating stuff, but we recently went, my wife and I recently went to this, uh, community gardener club thing. They were having this plant sale, which happens a lot all over the place, but almost everything there was divided off of things that the people in the club had in their yard, you know, the hostas and the peace lilies and the everything, all the other components, the irises, either they started it or they divided it to create that plant that was then sold. And I think that the benefit, you know, it goes back to the club or goes to, to, I don't know, somewhere. But in addition to the fact that there were a lot of people of an uh, of a advanced age with a lot of animosity in their hearts, throwing elbows to get to the best uh, lilies and get to the best available plant stock. It was the uh, mood was electric, and 
despite that, it was just this really beautiful moment of, and you talk about that kind of subdivision and, and that the one plant gives, gives life to another plant that then's going to go and have a, a life in my backyard. And in the future, maybe that'll happen. I'll divide it and, and give it to somebody else. And that's a whole component of the community thing that I hadn't really, um, I hadn't considered or, or valued it as much as maybe I could have at a different point in time. Jennifer brought me this lily that's been in her family for like five generations. Oh like my gosh. Has, they've all got a piece of it, but she said, no pressure. But if you kill this, you're dead to my family. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in the process of dividing this thing now. I'm like, it has like kind of like mealybugs. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, Brett, it kind of goes with what you're saying. That's a part of their history. And it's this. Yeah plant that they all and and they divided it up so that no one person would kill that legacy of this plant but it's tied to their family and some small it's some small piece but kind of what you're saying brett yeah it can be a kind of a part of you yeah plant are you still with us i am i'm i'm just soaking in all of this connectivity issues aside emotional issues today emotional stuff i know sometimes you don't have the best reaction to emotions alexis i'm not throwing (laughs) rocks or anything but uh i'm very good at the emotion anger i don't know what you're talking about yeah it's just not all of them emo is not an emotion it's a social movement alexis i've told you this before if anybody has uh um oh what is the name of that movie um where they have the little emotions or like little characters you know what i'm talking about and there's one called Yes, uh, you know, the white and the seven dwarfs. No, that's another. Happy. <laughs> uh, yes, I am. I am grumpy. No, there's one, and he's like <laughs> anger is an emotion where he like blows his top off all the time. Yeah. That's oh, how I yeah. feel yeah. sometimes. Uh, inside uh, something. Inside. Inside that's out. It. Inside out. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It's yeah. Inside out. Yeah. Uh, Which emotion are you? Pixar, do not us. Um, I you know most of the time I'm. I'm anger. <laughs> well, you make me, Which you make why. my emotion happy. Oh, mm-hmm. goodness. I do. I love sharing plants and I love, so um, like we've said a hundred times in here, I'm growing flowers and like I just got to drop off uh, two fl- vases of flowers to some friends and that was just a, just a good moment, you know, just, you know, for no reason whatsoever other than. I wanted. I know they enjoy it, and it makes them happy. A lot of so reasons. I brought them flowers. Yeah, and you well, made that. It's not like you put it together, but you made. Yeah, that. I mean those. The you know, I started soil them and the sun and all these other right, concepts. Yeah. Right, they're a, you made that a labor of love. I actually, that's what I give as Christmas gifts uh, to my staff, and I, I always say, I hope that they understand that this is giving a piece of me. I give them um, two weeks of flowers. I bring them in a, a week of like a CSA, mini little mini CSA essentially uh, and from the staff and the Boyle The folks at office. the extension office. Is that what you're Yeah, saying? the folks at yeah. the extension office for Christmas. I give them uh, flowers and oh, I just, so nice. um, yeah, I, it's probably more about me than Poison it is about them. to the ones she doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm giving them, you know, a piece of, a piece of me, right? So, I, yeah. I have come, I mean, I, I think I always kind of liked cut flowers, but I have come around to it so much in the last few years. And just like the, the effect of like beautiful, but ephemeral, mm-hmm. it's, there's something, yeah, again, I, there's something now. about that that is really moving. It's really emotionally moving. And I think I've shied away in the past from thinking like hungry or not hungry. That's pretty clear, but like fulfilled and like. 
whatever it is that feeling I get when I see the beautiful flowers like that you've grown or that Annie's grown in a in a vase and like yeah man there's just something really valuable about that we say in the flower farmer world that um you know tomatoes are food for you know you nutrition wise for your body but flowers are food for the soul Mm -hmm. and so uh, that's that's how we market them at least that's our marketing technique brett how do you how do you feel about that the workers organizations of the world would say bread and bread and roses yeah, yeah. You know, we, not, we need bread, yeah. but also roses. We're not just struggling for a baseline of of, yeah. of uh, light livelihood here and survival. We're talking about thriving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's ama- I think it's an amazing thing, and I I um, have grown just uh, in addition to, pre- to appreciating how much time and energy and and skill goes into growing them. Just the baseline appreciation for for the gotten in dip my hand a little into the arranging side of things that always mm-hmm. helps you appreciate very talented more. ladies and gentlemen Ooh. art and science folks art and science art, <laughs> arts and sciences hello yeah, both together greetings love it. <laughs> love it love it it's a good thing well, do you all have any other lingering uh uh enjoyments of plants or engagements with plants we didn't even talk about house plants as a no as a thing so oh, those are those with. are the winter the winter garden, right? Oh, yes. Kentucky, That's the, the plants garden. that I have to bring in that are unhappy all year until I take them back out, and then they get happy again. <laughs> I have those seasonal house plants. I don't have full time yeah. house plants. <laughs> snowbirds. I have. Yes, there's that. yeah. Yeah, snowbirds. Yeah. No, I have full time ones say? because I shock them too much when I bring them in and out. <laughs> if you just not use the taser, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> if you quit reading them tales of terror. <laughs> How else do I take I care really of the Mealy Bug why problem? You did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my. <laughs> I knew this conversation would be a good one today, but I had no idea it was going to be. Oh, uh, so well, so we want to, and, and we want to hear from you guys. Yeah. Yes. So we're not, we usually do a little wrap up, but there's been, we've covered way too much ground today. And I think we've all, uh, we've all shared. I've, I've learned things about each of you that I did not know, which is very fun yeah. for me. And so we'd like to learn some things about you all that we don't know. It's a little bit bigger field out there. And also we don't really know many of you at all. So it's easy for you to share. Please get in contact with us. Let us know why you love this stuff. Let us know if you like this style of episode. Um, us pinning Alexis to a wall and asking her about her feelings, me leaning all the way in on a uh, smooth jazz NPR host voice. Uh, let us know if, let us know if this is something that you'd like uh, to hear more of, but for real, let it reach out. You can reach out to us uh, at on Instagram at Hort culture podcast. You can DM us there. You can also uh, email us. Uh, you can email, email any of us. I'm brett.wolf at uky.edu. Uh, and let us know what brings you joy. Why are you doing all this crazy stuff? There's all kinds of work and worrying about money and worrying about profitability and all that kind of stuff. But what about that initial joy, that thing that brought you to this crazy uh, horticulture world in the first place? We would love to hear from you about that. Yes. With that, Alexis, take us home. All right. Awesome. Well, we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, we hope you get a little time to reflect on the joy that is horticulture. So thank you. And we'll see you next time.